Today we're continuing our studies that we commenced last week in the little book of Titus. So if you would open your Bibles to Titus chapter 1 and verse 5 and we're going to read through to verse 9. When I was first converted I wasn't used to handling a Bible and somebody gave me the little tip just to remember that all the T's of the New Testament are together. So you have 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy and then the book of Titus. So Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Amen. And we know God always blesses the reading of his own inspired word. This morning we're picking up our studies in this little epistle, a series of studies that we commenced last week. And this morning we come to this section on eldership. Now this is a vitally important subject because the Bible would make it clear that the leadership of the church is the key to the health and prosperity of the church. In the Old Testament, when Israel was at its lowest spiritual ebb, God repeatedly, through his prophets, condemned and indicted its leaders. Our Lord Jesus, when he looked at the hypocrisy of Judaism in his day, turned to its leaders in Matthew 24 and with scathing words of denunciation pronounced judgment on those blind leaders of the blind. Now, in the New Testament, there are two offices, that of elder and deacon. A close examination of 1 Timothy 3, Acts 20, Acts 6, and this passage in Titus would inform us that elders are responsible for the spiritual oversight of the church, and deacons are appointed to look after the temporal affairs of the church. In Paul's letter to Titus, he is only concerned about the office of elder, which is what we want to look at this morning. And I want you to notice four things. The need for eldership, the plurality in eldership, the role of eldership, and then lastly, our attitude to eldership. Next week, we'll look at the qualifications for eldership. So first of all, then, this morning, the need for eldership. Look at verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul had visited the island of Crete. Uh, A number of people had been converted and churches established. In fact, we're told there in verse 5 that churches had been established in every town on the island of Crete. Paul was very conscious that the work needed to be consolidated and so he left Titus to verse 5, put what remained into order. The NIV says to straighten out what was unfinished. The word comes from the Greek word orthos, from which we get our English word orthodontist, 
a dental specialist who straightens teeth, or orthopedics, um, that, that science of setting and straightening bones. So Paul was very conscious that the work on Crete was far from finished. The churches were young and vulnerable. They were under threat and they needed an eldership to counteract that threat. They were under threat doctrinally and morally. Look at verses 9 and 10. Here are the qualifications for eldership. He must uh, hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For, here's the reason, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. This perennial problem that plagued the early church of these Judaizers who taught that you had to be circumcised in order to be a true Christian, and you had to follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament in order to be a true Christian. They already had come to the island of Crete and were infiltrating the churches there. Then in verses 12 and 13, we're told of the bankruptcy of Cretan society. Look at verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. What an indictment upon a society. But Paul adds in verse 13, this testimony is true. As Paul laboured among them, he was very conscious that he lived and laboured in a morally bankrupt society. And that moral bankruptcy could have an influence upon the church. And so he left Titus to straighten out, to put what remained into order. And that straightening out involved the appointment of elders. And do we not live then in a doctrinally uh, confused society? Is not the church subject to the influences of every wind and doctrine? Do we uh, not live in days of moral corruption? Is our society not marked by moral decadence? And is there not a danger that being exposed to this theological error uh, of today's professing church and living in a world that is marked by moral decadence, is there not a danger that the church would be influenced by that? And of course there is. And the answer, says Paul, to that is a strong Eldership, a strong eldership that is able to uh, counteract these influences uh, morally and doctrinally. That's the need for eldership. The second thing I want you to notice is the plurality in eldership. Notice that Paul tells uh, Titus in verse 5, appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. Not appoint an elder, but appoint elders. There was to be more than one elder appointed in every town. Indeed, there was to be a team of elders in each place. Now, this is a recurring theme in the New Testament. Shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, we know that there was a plurality of elders in the church at Jerusalem. 
In Acts 14 and verse 23, we're told that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in each church with prayer and fasting. In Acts 20, Paul sends for the Ephesian elders. The New Testament knows nothing of a one-man band or a one-elder church. The New Testament model is that of a team working together for the mutual benefit of the church. Now that's not to say that there is no room for a pastor or no room for ministry or a minister. Although all elders have equal authority, not all elders exercise the same function. Just turn back in your Bibles to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5 and verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages. That's an interesting passage because it tells us that all uh, elders rule, but it also tells us that some elders rule through a preaching, exercising a preaching and teaching uh, ministry, giving themselves, says the authorised version, to labouring in the word and doctrine. That some elders are set aside to minister, to preach and teach the word of God. Indeed, the New Testament goes further than that. It tells us within the eldership there are those specifically called and gifted by God for ministry. Remember that passage in Ephesians 4 and verse 11 that the ascended Christ gives gifts to his church. And it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastor teachers. There's one definite article that governs both those words. So those two words, pastors, teachers, should be read together. Pastor, teachers. And the gift of the pastor, teacher, is a gift of the risen Christ to the church. He is an elder, but he is peculiarly and specifically set aside for ministry. We've got to understand that not all elders are called to preach and to teach. All elders, as part of their basic qualification, are to be apt to teach. But not all exercise this public ministry. So what I'm saying is this. Yes, it's important to have a plurality of elders. I think that's essentially important. But we need to realize that not all have the same function and not all rule in the same way. Some rule through a preaching and teaching ministry. And it's perfectly biblical then, as 1 Timothy 5 reminds us, to pay that individual so that he can devote himself to that preaching and teaching ministry. They're worthy of double honour. Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the corn. And a a labourer is worthy of his wages. So in uh, valuing this office of elder, we must never undervalue the calling of a pastor or the calling of a minister. So we have the need for eldership. We have the plurality in eldership. 
And then thirdly, I want you to notice the role of eldership. Now, there are two words for elder in the New Testament, and both of them appear here in Titus chapter 1. First of all, in verse 5, we have the word presbyteros, from which we get our English word Presbyterian, which is translated as elder and appoint elders in every time as I directed you. The second word appears in verse 7, and it's the word episkopos, uh, translated in the authorised version as bishop, but translated in most modern versions as overseer. For an overseer, verse 7, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Now, these two words describe the same office. You see that in, in the passage. The reason why the authorised version translates that uh, as bishop is because of the decree of James I. The authorised version is largely based on the translation of William Tyndale. And he translated this in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 as overseer. But when it came before James I, he said, no bishop, no king. And he insisted then that it should be translated as bishop, indicating from Titus 1 that uh, there were two offices, that of elder and that of bishop. But even a superficial reading of Titus 1 reveals that they are in fact one and the same office. That's conclusively proved in Acts chapter 20, where uh, Paul, you remember, uh, sends for the Ephesian elders in verse 17. And then in verse 28, he addresses that group of people and says to them, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And it's interesting to me that the translators of the authorised version translating that word in Acts chapter 20 as overseers because it is clear that it's referring to the same office. And the only conclusion I can come to is that they were governed by their own theological prejudice in that translation. They wanted to veil the fact that these uh, two words referred to the same office. And it's not just me that's saying that. Dean Alford, of course, who was an Anglican, uh, thinks that the translators uh, of the authorised version wanted to veil the plain meaning of the text in Acts 20 and translated that word as overseer rather than bishop. So all elders are overseers and overseers are elders. Now these words are interesting words. The word elder is from a Jewish background and at its basic level simply means old. But remember, in Judaism, wisdom was equated with age and so it referred to somebody who was wise. In the Old Testament, you had elders who ruled over the nation, over cities, towns and villages. You remember Boaz had to go to the elders at the town gate to negotiate for the hand of Ruth. In the New Testament, you had elders ruling in each synagogue. Indeed, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, were referred to as elders. 
The other word overseer comes from a Gentile background, and it literally means to to look over. It was used of municipal town managers in Greek and Roman society, but it was also used of fathers and their families. It was used of shepherds in their flock, and it was used of stewards in their household. You see that in verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Now, the word today has fallen out of fashion, and I suppose that's because of slavery in America. You will remember that each plantation had an overseer to direct the work of the slaves in those uh, plantations. But an overseer was a bit like a, a foreman or a supervisor. So you have these two words, elder and overseer. John Stott very helpfully says the word elder refers to the authority and to the dignity of the office. Overseer refers to the function and the activity of the office. So elder refers to the position. Overseer refers to his work. So let's look at that word elder in verse 5. Authority and dignity. That elders are elected to rule. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. Again, we've looked at it earlier. Let the elders who rule well, who rule well, be worthy of double honour. They rule. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch. Remember the work of the overseer? To, to look over keep watch for they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do it with joy and not with groaning for that would be no of no advantage to you elders are elected to rule part of their position is ruling in the church i remember um, when we were growing up in Rosemary Park in Bangor, the young people were planning some outreach activity that the elders didn't approve of and, uh, and didn't allow it to go ahead. And one of the youth leaders said, elders, elders, who do they think they are? Well, they're elders and they're elected to rule. John Brown, the 18th century Scottish minister says the Christian church is a very free society but they mistake the matter who consider it a democracy it is a monarchy administered by inferior magistrates chosen by their fellow subjects to execute the king's law now of course that rule is qualified Um, elders are to rule well 1 Timothy 3, but just turn over to me, or turn over with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but as examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Do you see that? Not domineering over those in your charge. The NIV says, not lording it over those entrusted to your care. As lords, says the authorised version, as lords over God's heritage. That, that it, this rule is not a tyrannical rule. It's not an absolute rule. The picture that Peter presents is of the shepherd uh, leading his sheep. And I think that's a wonderful picture of the, the authority that an elder exercises. That the Middle Eastern shepherd, he never drove the sheep. But he led the sheep. He went out in front of the flock. He called them by name and they followed him. They trusted him. They willingly accepted his leadership of them. He knew, they knew that he had their best interests at heart. And, and that's the picture then of the, the elder exercising authority, but a loving authority, a, a, an authority that is led by example so that's the first word elder the second word is this word overseer that appears in verse 7 and the overseer was like a foreman or a supervisor it was used of a a shepherd in his flock a father in his family a foreman uh, in a a business and in verse 7 there a steward in a household, and of course, the uh, function of the overseer was to direct, to protect, and also to provide. And all those themes are are picked up in the New Testament as far as an elder is concerned. But in the New Testament, the primary function of the overseer is to provide for the flock to provide for the household, to provide for the, the workers. Um, he is entrusted uh, with the uh, resources of the household in order that the uh, household can be provided for. He, he leads the sheep to the green pastures and the still waters. The father feeds the family. And this is the picture that's presented to us of the overseer his primary function is to provide all that the household needs to feed the flock to lead the flock to the place of nourishment to the green pastures and to the still waters and you find then that theme picked up in Titus chapter 1 that he is to be able to to teach uh, to Give instruction, verse 9, in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So the term elder refers to his dignity and authority and the term overseer refers to his function, to what he actually does. That he is to protect the flock, he is to direct the flock, but above everything else he is to provide the flock, he is to Give the flock all that they need in terms of spiritual nourishment. So the need for eldership, the plurality in eldership, the role of eldership. And the last thing I want you to notice is uh, our attitude to eldership. 
Are you maybe wondering what this has to do with the majority of members in Balamina Baptist Church? Well, I I think that the scripture would tell us that we are to uh, value and esteem the uh, elders that God has given us. We're told that in that verse that I mentioned, 1 Timothy 5, the elders who uh, direct the affairs well in, of the church are worthy of double honour. They are to be honoured. They are to be given uh, honour in the church. Turn with me to First uh, Thessalonians for a moment and, and chapter 5 and verse 12. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Esteem them highly for their work's sake. Uh, Elders, good elders, godly elders, are a, a source of great blessing to a church, they, they bring stability, doctrinal stability to the church. They bring moral distinctiveness to the church. And we are to value them. We are to pray for them. We are to esteem them highly. We're not to be like the world. You know what it's like uh, in the world, in the workplace, where people will snipe against their boss, where they... Uh, fix imaginary targets to their backs and think that they're open for uh, every criticism that goes. Um, Elders are called by God. They're not perfect. They're not infallible. They they can make mistakes. They can file up from time to time. But we are to esteem them highly for their work's sake. We are to honour them. So as the writer to the Hebrews says, their their labour among you uh, might not be a burden. So the challenge comes then this morning to us. Do you esteem the elders? Do you pray for the elders? Do you seek to encourage the elders? When they're helpful to you, do you drop them a text, write them an email, just speak a word of encouragement to them to let them know that you do appreciate them. And although you may not always agree with them, that you recognise that they have the best interests of the church and the glory of Christ at their hearts. So the need of eldership, the plurality in eldership, the role of eldership, and then our attitude to eldership. Esteem them highly, says Paul, for their work's sake.